Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mom of the Hard Kid. Today, we're going to be talking about reactive attachment disorder, disinhibited social engagement disorder, and its connection to self-permanence. So just to start off, what is self-permanence? Now, self-permanence can be explained fairly simply, but it is really kind of a complex development of a child learning who they are. So when you look it up, it says self-permanence is kind of uh, when you look in a mirror and you know that that's you. Well, when kids have been neglected, especially in their first few years of their life, they are missing those elements of self-permanence. They don't understand where they end and where the rest of the world begins. And how this was explained to me and kind of how I've observed it is that if you have a baby and you hold the baby, the baby can feel the pressure of your arm against its body and it can kind of start to learn where it ends and you begin, right? They're laying in their bed. They're realizing that they are having no touch. Then someone moves them and then holds them and provides this and then can release that by laying them back down or putting them in a chair or something like that. And they realize the limits that are their own self. So there is a physical self-permanence, but there's also a mental self-permanence. I was talking to my child's therapist and she said that one of the interesting things that can happen with children with reactive attachment disorder is when they're older They have a really hard time going to sleep because when they go to sleep in their minds, they just sort of dissolve into nothingness. So I know when I was little, I would go to sleep and I would think about what I would dream about. I would think about waking up in the morning. I would think about, you know, whether there's a monster in the closet that's going to come eat me. I would think about those things. But these kids that have no self-permanence don't have that part. They don't have the view of what's coming next. They just have an I exist. I'm here because of I can see that this experience is happening and it's not happening. So it's gone. And a lot of kids were telling this therapist that they felt like they disappear when they go to bed because they have they there's just something inherent about learning about who you are in those first few years of life. So when they miss that point, they don't know who they are. They don't know what they are. And they don't know their limitations physically. They don't know their spatial situation. They might be incredibly coordinated, but it doesn't connect to the parts of the brain. And this is kind of a complex issue. And I'm definitely not a neuroscientist. I'm just a mom. But I'm going to tell you how this looked in our life and kind of go over just a few things that I've learned about it. So when my daughter started therapy for reactive attachment disorder, attachment therapy, she was three years old. And we would go to the therapist. And this was like, I didn't even know how to wrap my head around this when the therapist says, okay, child, I want you to put your hand underneath this sand. So my child who is, you know, sensory craving is like sticks her hand under the sand. And then the therapist says, where's your hand? And she's like, gone. (laughs) I was like, oh, please, like your hand is not gone. And she's like, it's gone. And haha, it's gone. And they're like, where is it? And she's like, I don't know. 
<laughs> and we sweep the sand off her hand and it's there. And she's like, ah, look, my hand is here, you know, because when she couldn't see it, it was like it wasn't there. So then it's my turn. The therapist puts my hand under the sand and the therapist is like, hey, where's your mom's hand? I don't know. <laughs> my arm is sticking out out of the sand, you know. She's watched me bury my hand and she's like, I don't know. I don't know where her hand is. It's not there. You know, kind of like, well, it used to be at the end of her arm, but now her arm is just touching sand. Like it's weird. And I could not wrap my head around this. I thought, what is this? I, I don't get it. And she's, and the therapist is saying there's something called object permanence, but there's also something called self permanence where you realize that you exist, whether or not you can see yourself or feel your body that you still exist, but also object permanence, realizing that something else exists with it when you can't see it. So this was really interesting to me. And I ended up looking up an article that I really liked. And it was at um, psychology.emory.edu. It was written by Philippe Rochat. He is in the Department of Psychology. It was it was done in February 27th of 2003. And it's called Five Levels of Self-Awareness as They Unfold Early in Life. And I encourage you because it's not terribly long. It's maybe 15 pages. But I encourage you to go look at this if this is something you wonder is an issue with your child. Because a lot of these kids, especially as they get older, they will get coping skills. They will be able to handle life without really having this firm foundation of who they are. So number one, it talks about level one is differentiation. So I'm just going to read part of this because of course they say it better than me. And I still encourage you all to go look at it. This is the first sign that the individual is not oblivious of mirrors as a reflection. At this level, there is a sense of what is perceived in the mirror that is different from what is perceived as surrounding environment. When you have a baby and your baby finally starts recognizing that it is them in the reflection, it's so fun. You know, they they finally have this moment where they're like, oh my gosh, that's me. You know, that's when I lift my hand, they lift their hand because it's me, you know. And then you hit level two, situation. So then it says, beyond the differentiation of the uniqueness of a self-produced movement seen on the surface of the mirror, the individual is now capable of systematically exploring the intermodal link between seen movements on the mirror surface and what is perceived of the own body. In other words, the individual is now can go beyond the awareness of matched surface characteristics of seen and felt movements. So they can kind of understand that something is going on in that side and this side. Level three, identification. At this level, the individual manifests recognition and they can say, oh, that's me. That's me. Level four, permanence. The self is identified beyond here and now of the mirror experience. Now, to me, this ties in really big with where the levels need to happen before your child has more of a self-permanence. 
But so it says it can be identified in pictures and movies taken in the past where the self might be significantly younger. So they start realizing that they can be existing in the past and sometimes wrap their head around the fact that they can be existing in the future because they they finally are starting to realize that there's a here and now, but there's also a then and a future. So there's also other parts of existence, not just the here and now. And level five is the self-conscious or meta self-awareness. And this one's kind of fun. The self is now recognized not only from a first person perspective, but also from a third person's. The individuals are not only aware of what they are, but how they are in the minds of others, how they present themselves in the public eye. The public outlook on the shelf is stimulated for further evaluation of how one is perceived and valued by others. The result of this evaluation, more often than not, is either a devaluation or a delusion linked to so-called, quote, self-consciousness. Emotions or attitudes such as pride or shame, a self-conscious self is expressed and an entity that is simulated and projected in the minds of others. (gasps) This is where they hit the point where they realize that their actions impact others' perceptions of them. Now, I would have to say that I think that my child, I mean, (laughs) the development was like here and there and everywhere. She hit the point of self-conscious, so being aware that other people viewed her a particular way, way before she ever hit the point of self-permanence. So I don't know that it's always like a congruent step because I don't think that's how it showed up in our experience. But I do think that these are definite steps that she's had to take. But one thing that I disagree with with this article and not as a whole, just in my situation, is they talk in, in section two about how they have empirical evidence that babies aren't necessarily born at level zero that they don't necessarily have zero self-awareness when they're born. However, I do believe that when your child is neglected and when your child doesn't have maybe a mom that plays with them when they're in their stomach, because I played with my oldest daughter a ton when she was in my stomach. I played with all my kids while they were in my stomach because it's fun and you're so uncomfortable that it's the thing that makes you like happy (laughs) they're there. But if you're missing that, maybe because uh, the mother doesn't want to have the baby or maybe because the mother is doing drugs and is not present at all, I believe and have no reason to, but I believe that this probably impacts the baby that it can actually be at a level zero. Because when they're talking here, they're talking about a rooting response. So when when they're hungry, you touch their cheek and they tend to like turn towards the orientation of it. So I'm not sure about this. I think that you can have a really neglected baby and they will lose these kind of responses. But I, I don't think that is what this study is talking about. 
I don't think they care very much about it for this particular study, of course, not individually, but for this particular study, I don't think they care about neglect. I think they're talking about regularly emotionally healthy children. But if you continue on, they kind of explain why the child learns fairly quickly about their own parameters in their own space. And they talk about how the baby, you know, responds, the baby cries. When infants experience their own crying, their own touch, or experience the perfect contingency between seen and felt body movements. So if your arm is flailing in front of your hand, I mean, in front of your face, <laughs> then then you kind of are like, oh, look at that. Hey, oh, look, that was me. And for those of you who've been parents, when you see that baby find their hands and they're just like, ah, and they're eating them and you're like, oh, they found their hands and they find their feet and they they learn these things. And it says here, the transport of the own hand to the face, very frequent at birth, and even during the last trimester of pregnancy is a unique tactile experience, unlike any other tactile experience, as it entails a double touch, the hand touching the face and simultaneously the face touching the hand. Well, if your child has been exposed to drugs in utero or even alcohol, there's a chance, I think, seems reasonable to assume that your baby might not be experiencing some of those things the same way that a normal healthy baby would be experiencing it. But it says here the same for auditory experience of the own crying or the visual proprioceptive experience accompanying self-produced movements. So when they're learning, oh, this action gave this response and when you deal with children who have reactive attachment disorder, they are only 10 to 13% of kids who have been neglected that end up with this diagnosis. Now, I'm, I mean, who knows if that's an accurate number, because I do think that reactive attachment disorder can go undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. But when I know that when I got my little lady for the first time, when she was five months old, and she's only with us for a week, she didn't do these things. She didn't get a response from crying. So she didn't cry anymore. She didn't play at all. Here she is five months old. I've got, I've had other kids in my life who were trying to crawl and are practically <laughs> scooting across every surface trying to get to stuff at six months old. And this one's hardly sitting up, you know, so this baby didn't have the experiences that they're talking about here. So they're saying, oh, well, they understand when they cry, that that is a thing that they are doing. Well, what if they don't cry? You know, what if they don't play? What if they learn that those things aren't happening for them? So they just stop doing it. So then they never learn all of those deeper things. In 2.2, it talks about a situated self from two months of age. By the end of the second month, infants show clear signs that in addition to self-world differentiation, they also have a sense of how their own body is situated to other entities in their environment. So one of my favorite things that babies do when they're babies is they stick their tongues out and then when you, and you can stick your tongue out and they'll stick their tongue out. You know, they have these mirror neurons and they're learning all of these things. And they're like, 
because of these mirror neurons, when you stick your tongue out, they'll stick their tongue out because they're mirroring you. Well, what if there's no one to mirror? Then they don't understand, hey, look, look, I can make that happen. Look. And then the mirror neurons only last so long. So I'm going to guide you to an interesting article that I found from Sura Akarya and Samantha Shukla called Mirror Neurons, Enigma of the Metaphysical Modular Brain. This was a really interesting article because it kind of is why I headed down this direction of mirror neurons helping create a sense of self. And it says, essentially, mirror neurons respond to actions that we observe in others. The interesting part is that mirror neurons fire in the same way when we actually recreate that action ourselves. Apart from imitation, and this is the part that I find interesting, they are responsible for a myriad of other sophisticated human behavior and thought processes. So as you go through, it speaks fairly complexly about this. And it is kind of a little bit, a little bit more hard to read. It's a harder to read article than some of the others I've come across. So while it goes into some interesting things, I kind of just want to focus on this one part where it talks about Hebian learning. So there was this guy, I or Hebian, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I only read it. Nobody's telling me how to say it. His name is Donald Hebb, H-E-B-B. And in 1949, he writes this publication called The Organization of Behavior. And this is where he is talking about how your brain as a newborn baby has neurons that are activated and connected with other neurons. And your connections are really, really weak. But each time that the stimulus is repeated, then your connections grow stronger and stronger and stronger. So when you have these mirror neurons, which according to the article, by the time you're 12 months old, you have a complex path of mirror neurons and a whole system going on inside, which is why babies love peekaboo and why um, when you wave, they will wave back kinds of things. They will just start copying you and they and then this starts fairly young. I think my kids started sticking their tongues out at me at like four weeks old. This starts really, really young. But what it talks about in the Hebian learning is that these connections have to have a lot of stimuli in order to create these neural pathways. So you'll have like this nerve who's saying, hey, I, I want to accomplish this. So I need to connect with that other nerve in order to make that happen. And this is all happening internally. Nobody's really, you know, thinking about it. Your brain is just smarter than you give it credit for. Well, if your child is not getting any of that stimuli, if your baby is laying in a bed, staring at a blank ceiling, they're not getting those things. And so when they do MRI scans of kids that have been neglected, they see these huge neurological pathways and they're kind of like a super highway of neurological direction. And so you don't have a vast network of neural behavior going on. You have these main paths that they that they take. And so then the brain is like, nope, this is where we're going. Nope, this is where you're going. 
this is where we are going. And you have to, as a parent, then retrain each one of these networks. It takes a lot of time, just as you know, you watch a baby and how they develop. It takes years. So this is back to me talking again. And in my observations in my life with my child, and I see that she had to have all of those experiences while part of her was already developed past this point. We had to have so many different experiences, different learning, different talks about it, because by the time she's hitting the point where she should be experiencing things as a three-year-old, she's part of her brain is back there still sitting at newborn and isn't, isn't developing. So you have to play this game where you're treating part of her like a newborn and part of her like she's actually three and another part of her like she's six because that's where the super highways went and so that part works really 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 above average and the other part isn't you have to work in each group and when you can hit the self-permanency part when you can teach enough of those touch behaviors one of the one of the things that our therapist had us do is she had me have her sit. I think I've talked about this a million times. And then we had this vitamin C drink that she would drink out of a sippy cup and I would rock her and I would pat her on the back and anything that is touch. And and then you look in her eyes because that's another thing that these neglected kids didn't get. They didn't get the looking in the eyes and understanding the reactions between people they didn't get that. So they don't understand, you know, they can't see the anger coming ahead of time, unless they're the ones who are responsible for it. And they say, I'm going to make that happen kind of a thing. And they can't see the love coming ahead of time. And the love doesn't speak to them because that neural pathway wasn't made. So you have to take the years and it takes years to build this neural pathway because when they're babies and they're helpless and they rely on a parent they still don't get the love of that parent like the loving of oh I love this parent till they're like eight months old and then they're like no I don't want to go with you I want to stay with this person this person's I want this person you know but when they're five months old they're like pass me around to whoever I don't care pass me around whatever I don't care you know so even as a baby it takes time for them to develop that and they are completely reliant on that person so it's faster so when your child is in that point where they have no self-permanency and they have no ability to understand their relationships you have to form those new neural pathways. And it is possible. And if your child is 12 years old, you're going to have to have some pretty frank discussions about it and say, hey, 12 year old kid, you are old enough to know now that you don't have the same neural pathways that kids who were not neglected have. I'm sorry you were neglected. We can make it through this. And then say it's going to take us three years I would like your buy-in on this. I would like this to happen because it will help you be more successful as a grown-up. It will help you get better jobs. You're going to have better relationships. Is that something you want? No. Okay, well, because I'm your parent, I'm going to still try this for you. This is where my goals are going to be. This is why I'm going to be making the decisions I'm making. And so we're going to walk through this because you know they're never going to say yes. (laughs) 
Not if they really have reactive attachment disorder or oppositional defiance, right? I mean, they might, because we're at a point now where my daughter will say yes, but the, no way in the world before. But I know that this seems really complex. But the truth is, I think a big part of this is just a mindset shift to to really see them as a different almost like a cityscape where parts of them are really tall buildings that are really advanced in certain areas because they've had those huge neural highways and other parts of them haven't been developed at all yet. And so you can focus on those undeveloped areas and bring them up and it's going to take time just like building a building takes time. It's going to take time. And I just really encourage you to take that time right now because you want their cityscape to be more even. That's what you want for your child in the future. So putting in the time now is going to build up some of their lower levels of those buildings to be able to bring it up and be less of a zigzaggy skyline. I wish you all the best. We are still learning together. I hope any of this information has been beneficial to you. And again, keep on fighting the good fight. It's hard out there, but you can do it. Thanks for joining me.